I want to start out this morning um, by painting a couple of pictures for you, word pictures for you, and uh, and and just. I thought they were fascinating to kind of go with what we're talking about today. First one is a picture uh, from psychologist James Dobson. Uh, some of you might have remember that name, but uh, it's a story about a lesson that he learned through his grandmother. He, he talks about uh, his grandmother uh, teaching him how to play the game of Monopoly. He says this, now my grandmother was a wonderful person. She raised six children. She was a widow by the time I knew her well, and she lived in, in uh, our house for many, many years. She was a lovely woman, he said. But she was the most ruthless Monopoly player I have ever known in my entire life. She understood the name of the game of Monopoly is about acquiring. It's about getting as much as you can. When we would play when I was a little kid, he says, and I got money from the bank, I would always want to save it because it was just so much fun to have that kind of money. Hundreds of dollars, he says. He says she spent Everything she landed on, everything she landed on, she bought. And then she'd mortgage it to the hilt so that she could buy everything else that she landed on on the board. She would accumulate everything she could, and eventually she would become master of the board. And every time I landed, he says, I would have to pay her money. She would eventually, every time, she would take my last dollar, and I would eventually quit in utter defeat. And she would always say the same thing to me. She'd look at me and she'd say, one day you'll learn how to play the game. He said, I hated it when she said that to me. But one summer, he said, I played the game with a neighbor kid, a friend of mine, almost every day, all day long. We'd play Monopoly for hours. And it was that summer that I learned to play the game. I came to understand that the only way to win is to make a total commitment to acquisition. I came to understand that money and possessions, that's the way you'd keep score. And by the end of that summer, I was more ruthless than my grandmother. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to, to win that game. And he said, and we, and we, the game came in the fall of that year. Slowly, cunningly, he says, I exposed my grandmother's vulnerability. Relentlessly, inescapably, I drove her off the board. The game does strange things to you. He said, I can still remember it clear as day. It happened at Marvin Gardens. I looked at my grandmother. She taught me how to play the game. She was an old lady by now. She was a widow. She had raised my mom. She loved my mom. She loved me. He said, I took everything she had. (laughs) I destroyed her financially, and then I destroyed her psychologically. I watched her give up her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment of my life, he said. He says, but then she had one more thing to teach me. And she said, now it all goes back in the box. All those houses, all those hotels, all the railroads and utility companies, all the property, all that wonderful money, now it all goes back in the box. He says, I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to leave it out, maybe have it bronzed, set up and stay there forever as a testament to my game, right? That kind of thing. But she said, no. She said, none of it was really yours in the first place. You got all heated up about it for a little while, but it was around a long time before you sat down at the board, and it'll be here a long time after you're gone. Players come and players go, but it all goes back in the box. The game ends, she said. And it's true, isn't it? The game always ends. For every player, the game ends. Every time you pick up a newspaper, you can turn to an actual page that describes people for whom this week the game ended. Skilled businessmen. An aging grandmother who is in a convalescent home with a brain tumor. Teenage kids that think they have their whole lives and the whole world in front of them. Then somebody drives through a stop sign. It all goes back in the box. Houses and cars and titles and clothes, filled barns, bulging portfolios, even your body. 
it all goes back in the box. And so it leaves you asking the question, what really matters? What's really worth giving your life to? Inventor Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, had to wrestle with this question one morning in 1888 when he awoke to read his own obituary. It was frightening. The obituary was printed as a result of simple journalistic error. His little brother had died, and they mistakenly reported his death instead. Any person would be disturbed by that kind of circumstances. But to Alfred, the shock was overwhelming because he saw himself from the perspective of the whole world. He, the, the title was, The Dynamite King is Dead. That was the, the title of his obituary. He was seen as a great industrialist who had made his immense fortune from the invention of explosives. This, as far as the general public was concerned, was the entire purpose of his existence, of his life. This was his legacy, one of death. He would be remembered as a merchant of death and nothing more. Nobel had a chance to see what kind of legacy he was going to leave and what he had invested his life in, and it scared him. It scared him so much, in fact, that he spent the rest of his days trying to rewrite his legacy, trying to change what he had invested his life in. Rather than being known as a merchant of, of death, he is now celebrated as a merchant of peace. In fact, every year, every year we give out uh, awards and prizes in his name. It's called the Nobel peace prize, right? Every year he spent his, the remainder of his life and he spent the remainder of his fortune setting up something so that he would be remembered for peace and not destruction. So that he would be remembered for life and humanitarian causes rather than a merchant of death. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you want to be remembered for? What do you want your life story to be about? What are you currently investing your life in? What is it that you want to leave behind when it's all said and done? What do you want your one and only life to be about? For me, I think it's uh, pretty simple. I, want, I mean, I've thought about this actually quite a bit, but I want people at my funeral, you want to know what I want? Uh, when they stand up and they say nice things about me, you want to know what I want them to say first and foremost? I want them to say, you know what? He led me to Christ. <laughs> My life is totally different because he, he came and he loved me and he showed me a God like I had never seen or known before. He introduced me to a life with Jesus that, I, that has totally transformed my existence. I want my kids and those that are closest to me to say, you know what, I, th- I think more than anything he loved me like crazy and he showed me the life with Christ that I was born for. He showed me what it looks like to live with passion for Jesus. That's what I want my life to be about. How about you? What is it that you want your legacy, your life to be all about? And then I think the second, the follow-up question is, am I actually living my life that way? Am I spending hours in my week, the days of my life, am I spending that time actually crafting that legacy of what will be left behind, investing in stuff that will really matter 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 years from now, even after I'm gone? Or am I just going to stay stuck on the hamster wheel of life, so to speak? Stay stuck in the rat race. I was talking to a relative uh, this week and was talking to them and saying, hey, you're about 20 years from retirement. And I just was asking him, I was like, so, so you're a couple years from being an empty nester? Tell me what 
tell me what this season looks like. What's legacy look like for you in this season? He said, you know what? To be honest, he said, I am just so stuck in the rat race right now. He's like, I can't even think of that. He said, I go to work. I work a gazillion hours. I come home exhausted. I spend a little bit of time with my family. I go to bed, drop into bed, and then I wake up the next day and I do it all over again. And I think the question for him and the question for each one of us is, are we so stuck on the hamster wheel, right? So stuck in the rat race that we are missing our life, that we're missing the legacy and the kind of life that we are born to live? Or are we able to, even in the midst of all the other stuff that happens in our lives, are we spending Time. Are we investing our hours in our days, in our weeks, in our years into stuff that will really last, that will really make a difference? Job uh, puts it this way, and I think we, we have to be so careful because otherwise this is true. <laughs> it can, this can so easily be true. He says, my days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without even a glimpse of joy. They skim past like boats of papyrus, like eagles swooping down on their prey. You know what it's saying? Days are just flying by. And if we're not careful, they fly by purposelessly. They fly by without an ounce of joy. Is that a word? I just made it up anyway. My daughter's rolling her eyes at me, so it's probably not a word. (laughs) Without purpose, we'll say it that way. That's why I think Ephesians 5, we'll hit this a couple of times today. Ephesians puts it this way. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are fleeting. Time, friends, is our most precious commodity. It's the stuff that our lives are made of. We are only on this planet literally a number of weeks. Uh, The average lifespan is 3,700 weeks. And then it all goes back in the box. So the Bible warns us, be very careful how you live. Make the most of your weeks on this planet. Make the most of your time because it's just a short amount of time before it all goes back in the box. So would you invest your life? Would you pour your life into stuff that will really last? Would you spend your days investing in the important, in the eternal, into the things that will really matter when it's all said and done? Psalm 90 verse 12 puts it this way. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. This morning we are wrapping up this series, three-week series we're doing called Entrusted, which is focused on this whole idea that you and I are not just here on accident. There's not just random things happening, but the living God in his wisdom, in his foreknowledge, has, has invested, has entrusted time and talents and treasures into your care to be used for his purposes. He has, he, everything that you have has come from him and it wasn't given on accident. It was given to you strategically and specifically for you to be able to live the life he has for you for you to be able to make the most of the opportunities he has placed around you. He wants to use you to change the world in a small part. He wants to use you to impact lives. He wants to use you to make himself known. He wants to use you in amazing ways to see his kingdom come and to see his will be done here as it is in heaven. It's been entrusted to us. And one day we will again have to stand before him and we will have to give an account. He will say, what have, how have you invested what I entrusted to you? 
And the Bible says, right, for, for those that have been faithful to invest what was given to them for God's kingdom and his purposes and his glory, it says you, you'll be welcomed home, you'll be rewarded, and he will say, well done. And likewise, for those of us that have squandered all that has been entrusted to us, we will suffer loss. We will suffer loss. You, have, you and I have been entrusted with so much for his purposes. And so today as we wrap up, I want to, we've talked about treasure, we've talked about talent, as in gifts, abilities, all that kind of stuff. Today I want to wrap up just talking about our use of time, and hopefully that's obvious by now, but our, our use of time and the time that has been entrusted to us and how to, how to make the most of, of these days in which we live and travel around the sun. Okay, I want to do that today by looking at sort of three myths that I think we buy into about time. Three, three kind of things that I think sometimes keep us from living the kind of purposeful lives that we're intended to. These three myths significantly decrease our effectiveness and the amount of time and energy that we pour into the things that really matter. So the first myth, and we'll just kind of go through them here together, but the first one is that I'm not responsible for my time. I'm not sure exactly where this comes from or why, but I'm amazed at how often I hear this kind of stuff, that we tend to believe this myth that I don't really have a choice about the way that my life is running. If my life is exhausting or unproductive or unpurposeful, or if I don't have time for the important stuff, or, you know, then it's somebody else's fault. It's my work's fault, or it's my parents' fault. It's my family's fault, or my friend's fault, my schoolwork's fault, or the financial pressures that I'm under, or the season of my life, and there's nothing I can do about it. We tend to just write it off of, it's out of my hands. There's nothing I can do. It's just the way this world works. It's, I'm busy. It's you know, just the way it is. And so we just got to keep running on that hamster wheel of life. But friends, what I want to push back on, I think from a biblical perspective, is I would say, it's just not true. No one controls your schedule but you. Nobody is responsible for your time or your life other than you. We sometimes have situations that are thrust upon us when you know, somebody ends up in the hospital and so we need to stay with them or we end up needing to stay in a dead-end job for a while just to make ends meet and provide for our families or whatever, but we are still choosing it. We have way more power and way more control over our schedules and our time, over our life than you think you do. There are two words that uh, God has given us that give us responsibility and choices in our world. Those two, in, over our time, those two words are pretty simple. One is yes, and the other one is no, right? Is that pretty simple? It's, it's words that, de- that largely define how we will invest and how we will spend our one and only life. But don't be fooled. Those two words are challenging to know when to use at the right time, aren't they? It's hard, it's hard kind of to know when to use the word yes, when to say yes or something, or when to say no, when to say I'm in or I'm out. But these two words largely define us and decide the quality and the significance, the legacy of our lives but we have a hard time knowing which one to use when. We have a problem saying the right one at the right time in the right way. Often we just give in to whatever the pressure is in that moment, even if it doesn't lead in the direction of our ultimate values. We just give in to it. So somebody asks, would you do this? Would you attend this thing? Would you lead this thing? Would you pay for this thing? Would you commit to this thing? Somebody asks us, would you watch my hyperactive triplet infants for two weeks while I move to Iowa? Somebody says, would you go on a blind date with my second cousin this Friday when he gets out of prison? 
And although you have a clear no in your heart and in your mind, a decisive, strong no was slow to come. And much to your surprise, you hear the words, yes, leaping out of your mouth. And you think, what have I done, right? What did I do? How is this even possible? But Jesus says, man, the, these two words are so significant. Uh, significant. In Matthew 5, uh, 37, he says this, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll read this one, but I like the old NIV translation better. I think it's more accurate. He says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The old NIV says, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you have a no in your heart or in your mind, when you have a gut that's saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, he's saying, say no. And likewise, when there are things that align with your values, your mission, why you're here, simply let your yes be yes. It's so significant that Jesus actually spends time talking about that. I think there's an illusion that we have that my life is not chosen by me, that it's beyond my control, but it's just not true. It's the power of yes or no. It's the law of individual responsibility. You are responsible for your life. I am responsible for my life. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Listen again to these foundational verses that we've read every week of this series. I'll abbreviate it a little bit for the sake of time today, but it's uh, the parable of the talents. I just want you to listen to it and we'll pull a couple things out real quick. Matthew 25, 14 through 21 <coughs> says this. Sorry, I'll hack up along here for a second. <coughs> says this again, it, he's talking about the kingdom of God, life with God. He says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five talents or five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one, one bag, each according to his ability. Then the master went on a long journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his master's money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. And the one with one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. Quick observation here. The servant who was entrusted with five talents, five bags of gold, a huge sum of money. When the master returned, who had to give an account for how he had used that money? Did the person that was given one talent have to give an account for the guy that had five? Okay, this is kind of a rhetorical question, but what's the answer? No, of course not. Did the person that was given, you know, two or three talents, did they have to give an account for, for the other? No. The person that had been given five talents, five bags of gold, he was responsible for how he had invested his time and his money as the master was gone. Him and him alone. Where did the buck stop? It was with him. The person that had been given one bag of gold, one talent of money, who was responsible? Was the, was the person with five responsible for his? No, he was responsible for his own life. Each one was, was responsible for themselves. Friends, you are responsible for the time that God has given you on this planet. Only you, no one else. If you never get around to pouring your life into stuff that matters, who's responsible? I want you to say, I am. If you're investing so much of yourself at work that you don't have anything to give at home, who is responsible? I am. 
If school activities completely consume your household so that you seemingly have no time for anything else, no time to come to church, no time to help for helping other people find Christ or grow up in Christ, who is responsible? I am. If we are too busy to help our kids or our spouses you know, invest in them and grow spiritually and do devotions as a family or pray together as a family. If, we, if we're just too busy to have any time for Jesus in our family or in our lives or in our world, who's responsible? I am. If, if, if I'm too busy to come to church, who's responsible? I am. I'm choosing that, right? We're always choosing something over something else. We are always choosing one thing or another. And one day I will have to give an account to God for how I've spent my time, my one and only life, and so will you. Takes us to our second one is I can't do everything. The, the myth is that I can do, I can just keep adding and adding and adding and adding. I can do more and more and more and more, and it's fine, right? And that's that's the pace of, of us as Americans, isn't it? Man, we do more and more and more. We're really good at saying the word yes, and we kind of stink at saying the word See, only half of you could even say it right there. <laughs> we have a hard time saying no. We think, we think we can keep adding without ever having to subtract. And so we put more and more and more and more on our plates. And actually, I would say the quality and the purposefulness of our lives goes down and down and down and down. But underneath it all, sort of this assumption, that I can just keep adding. I can do it all. For many of us, I think there's a fair sense of guilt that sort of goes along with this one. We think that we should be able to do everything. We think we should be able to have our cake and eat it too. We think we should be able to work a job full-time, raise a family, have our kids involved in extracurricular activities four or five nights a week. We think we should be able to help out with Cub Scouts or Girl Scouts. We should help out with homework, entertain occasionally, help you know volunteer at the school, home cook all of our meals, have our house in perfect order, completely clean, lawn mowed, furniture dusted, everything picked up, looking like it's ready for for the tour of homes at any moment. Should anyone step into our home, it should look perfect and orderly and all that. I mean, we kind of think that we should be able to do everything. And if we can't, then we kind of feel like we failed. Oh, man. And I think, if I can just stereotype for a second, I think women are the worst at this, right? I mean, I think there's a, there's a level of guilt that goes along with it. I should be able to do it all. I should be able to, to be super mom or super woman or something like that. But we just can't. We can't do it all. It's impossible. It's a myth. Psalm 119 puts it this way. says, I have learned that everything has limits except God's word, God's perfect word, as it goes on to say. I've learned that everything in this life, all perfection has limits. Everything in all creation has limits or limitations, and you and I are no different. There simply isn't enough time to do it all. We aren't able to do anything. We, we have to set limits. We have to make choices. You can't just keep adding things without taking something out. You have to say no to some things, even good things, so that we can say yes to that which is most important, things that will last for all eternity, mainly our relationship with God and our relationship with others, helping them find and grow in their relationship with Christ. Now, for many of us, saying no to good things and valuable things is sort of like cutting off an arm or something, right? It's, it's tough. It's really hard for us, but incredibly important for us to understand our limits, for us to make choices and invest our lives first in stuff that's really going to last, making decisions first based on what is our number one, based on our most important priority, and hopefully our relationship with God falls into that box. And then following our value second, 
living those out, putting those in our schedules first, and then filling in the rest of stuff around the cracks. Stephen Covey used an illustration one time in one of his seminars, and in the middle of the class, he pulls out this huge, wide-mouthed gallon jar, sort of like that, and he sets it up on the table uh, next to a platter covered with fist-sized rocks, and he says, how many of these rocks do you think I can fit into the jar, he asked. After he heard their guesses, he started putting one in in the jar, and then one on top, and another, and another, and another, and he gets it all the way to the top, and he says, what do you think? Is the jar full? And everybody says, yeah, knowing that no more rocks could fit in. They say, yes, and he says, not so fast, he cautioned. From under the table, he pulls out a bucket of gravel, and he dumps that into the jar, and he starts shaking it, and a bunch more gravel fills in the little spaces left, left by the big rocks. Grinning, the seminar leader asks, is the jar full now? And people are starting to catch on and saying, I don't think so. You know, I'm not exactly sure. Probably not. He said, good. So he went on. He got a bucket of sand. He started pulling that in and again, shaking the jar. And he put tons more into that. And then once again, he asked, is is it full now? And people said, no. And he said, right, good. He pulls out a a thing of water and he pours in maybe a, a quart or something like that more of water up to the brim. And he said, he finally said, ladies and gentlemen, the jar is now full. He says, can anybody tell me uh, the lesson you can learn from this? What's my point? And one eager student spoke up and said, well, there's gaps in your schedule. And if you work really hard at it, you can always cram more into your life. He said, no, that's not the point at all. He said, the point is this. If I hadn't put put those big rocks in first, I would have never gotten all this stuff in. Our time is sort of like that. If we don't put the most important things in first, our calendars fill up and there's no room for those things anymore. That's why Jesus says this in in Matthew 6, 33. He says, seek, what's that next word? Seek first, right? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these other things will be added to you, given to you as well. First, he says, before you get focused on jobs and providing and before you get all worried about what you're going to eat and drink and wear, before you get all focused on the stuff of this life, he says, seek first my kingdom, the kingdom of God. First, invest your energy and your life and your effort into stuff that is going to last, onto stuff that will matter in eternity. First, go after God. First, go after his plans, and then all those other things will be figured out as well. You and I, friends, have to create space. We can't do it all. So in order to add the right things, we're going to have to cut some things out. We're going to have to prune back our schedules so that we have room for the stuff that really matters. Takes us to our third one. Third kind of myth about our time is that I'll have time for the important stuff later. You'd be surprised at how often I hear this kind of thing. Someday in the future, this is the myth. Some, I mean, someday, maybe when I retire or when the kids leave the house, someday when I'm married or when work isn't so demanding, sometime in the future, I will have more time and then I'll be able to invest in the important things. I know I'm not investing my life in the way I should now, but that's okay because in this next stage in life, you know, I'll do that kind of stuff. And I just have to say, you have no idea how often I hear that. And from people all over the board, it's crazy. Right? I hear it from uh, singles that are working hard and they're trying to, you know, get their career going. They're like, well, I'm really busy now, but later, right? Later, I'll invest in that stuff later. I hear it from uh, married couples or people with young kids at home and they think, man, I'm going crazy, right? I'm about to pull my hair out. I can't invest in the important stuff now, 
right? Other kingdom stuff, not, not that they're not investing in important stuff in kids, right? But, but I can't invest in that other stuff now because I, it's too crazy. It's too busy. And then their kids get into school and they're running people all over the place. They get into high school. It's super crazy. Even in college, they're like, man, I can't. I got to work. I got to pay all this money. I don't have time for that stuff. Even empty nesters, I hear from them. And here's the crazy part. Retired people, I hear the same thing. You do too. You hear it over and over and over and over. It's the same thing I hear every time I say, how's retirement going? They're like, I'm busier now than I have ever been. Have you heard that? If we're, what are we waiting for? If we're not going to invest our lives into stuff that matters now, primarily the king and his kingdom, primarily loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and learning to love those around us as ourselves, helping them to find and meet Christ, serving the poor, helping them grow up. If we're not going to invest our lives into stuff that matters now, when are we going to do it? It's a myth that says I'll have time for the important stuff later. When? Going back to our story, our parable, saying I'll invest in that stuff later. You know what that is? That is taking our talent and burying it in the ground. It's taking our lives and wasting them. And God says, you're going to have to answer for that one day. You're going to stand before, great, so you had a big house and you got cars and you advanced far at work, great. What'd you do for the kingdom? What'd you do of lasting value? How'd you invest your life and pour it out into your kids and into your neighbors and into your corks? Did you help? Were you praying for them? Were you introducing people to Jesus? Were you discipling people and helping people learn to to grow and live and experience life in Christ? Were you investing in other people's marriages and families and lives? Or was it just all about you? Was it just all about, oh, right? Man, this, do you feel a little uncomfortable here? I think it's a, this is the thing though. Like, I think it's supposed to make us a little bit uncomfortable, right? Because the reality is the pressure of, uh, and the temptation for us in this world on the hamster wheel, right? is just to spend our whole life just doing the mundane, just doing the thing again and again and again. We get on the hamster wheel and we run and we run and we run and we run and we never stop to think, is this really how I'm supposed to invest my life? Is this all there is? Is this it? But friends, you are made for more. There's this great C.S. Lewis um, quote. Uh, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's kind of a fictional uh, kind of thing about conversations that the devil, that Satan would have, right, with his demons about how they can sort of deceive the church, deceive people, that, and, and keep people from finding Christ and living in Christ and growing in Christ. And so there's all these conversations. It's a little funny and a little weird and flipped on its head, but he's got some great points. And he's got this one part uh, where they're talking about, um, you know, how can they derail people and keep them from hearing and trusting and fully living in the gospel and this good news about Jesus. And uh, one of the demons says, hey, I've got a plan, master. He says, when I get to the earth and I take charge over people's thinking, I'll tell them there's no heaven. And, and uh, the devil responds, oh, they'll never believe that. The book of truth is full of messages about the hope of heaven through sins forgiven in Christ. They won't believe that. They know there's a glorious future awaiting them. And on the other side of the room, another one says, well, I've got it. I'll tell them there's no hell. 
And he said, and the devil said, that's no good. He said, uh, when Jesus was here, he talked more about hell than about heaven. They know in their hearts that their wrong will have to be taken care of in some way. They deserve nothing more than hell, and they know it. And then one little brilliant imp in the back stood up, and he says, then I know what to do. He says, I'll just tell him there's no hurry. <laughs> and that's the one that Satan chose. I think that's sort of the way with us. There's this overwhelming temptation to say, there's no hurry. Take your time. You don't need to live for that stuff now. You can do that later. Don't invest your life in ways like that now. Enjoy yourself. Just focus it all in on you. But friends, do you know when your life and my life is going to slow down on its own? Probably one of two times. One is, what do you think? when we're dead, right? That's when our life is going to slow down. And the second one is probably when we are, when we get older and we no longer have energy to do what we want to do anymore. Chances are that's when our lives will finally slow down. If we are waiting for more time rather than prioritizing and putting first God's plans and God's purposes for us, we will never get around to it. It will never happen. That's why Ephesians, again, going back, Ephesians, just he's pushing and just reminding us, like, be very, very careful how you live. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What does that mean? Does that mean, oh man, bad days, bad days. Is that what it means? No, it's saying the days are slipping by. They are rushing by. James says, you know what your life is like? It's like a mist that appears to, for, for just a little bit, <gasps> right? It's like fog on a window and then it vanishes. The days are evil. The seconds are ticking by. Your life is being spent one way or another. And so God's word, God's truth says to us, be careful how you live. Make sure you are taking advantage of today. Because your days are going. Invest your stuff. Invest your lives, your hours, your minutes today into stuff that matters because your time is fleeting. Make your one and only life count. Put your relationship with God, put living in his kingdom, put his purposes and plans, put those in your calendar first and then let the other stuff come fall into place after that. I want to challenge you this morning, friends, you can't do it all. You probably won't have time for it later. And uh, in order for you to, to be effective and purposeful in life requires you to make the tough calls about your lives and you alone are responsible for how you're going to live your one and only life. There aren't any victims of life here. You choose how you're going to spend your days and your hours and your months. So here's a couple questions that I think we need to answer and probably need to wrestle with. I'd encourage you to write them down and to give some thought to it. You can write them in your programs or, or whatever else on your phones. Think about them later. But the first one is this. What is there in your life right now that you need to say no to to create some space for some of the more important things in life? What is there that you need to say no to so that you can invest in lasting things? so you can invest in your kids or your, your family relationships, so that you can have time together, so that you can invest in the things of God, so that you can have time to maybe sign up and go serve, uh, you know, package food for, for people that don't have any, 
so that you can serve at the homeless shelter, so that you can make a difference in people's lives? What do you need to say no to so you can have time to have some people over and share life together and point people to Jesus and build relationships? What do you need to say no to so that you can have time to grow in your walk with Christ? Are there some things that you need to, to kind of trim down and say, I, I think probably yes. And the second thing is this, what, what are the things that are in your life right now that you've said no to that maybe you need to say yes to? Let me give you some examples here. Is there a neighbor that's far from God that, need, that really needs somebody to be loving them and serving them and sharing with them, maybe inviting them to church? Is there somebody that you know that's hurting that you need to take some time to care for them and pray with them and love on them? Do you need to spend some time maybe investing and discipling your kids, teaching them and showing them that there's life available to them in Jesus? Do you need to spend some time opening up God's book and starting to read what his plans are for you in this life and what his priorities for you are in the here and now? Do you need to spend some time growing that way? What is there that you've said no to or maybe not even intentionally, but your schedules, your jars have just gotten filled up and you don't have space for it. But what do you need to say no to so that there's space enough that you can invest your one and only life into God, into his church, into his mission, into his purposes in this world so that when we look back, so that when we get to the end of our lives, we are able to look back and even be welcomed in to the throne room of God and hear the words of the Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with the time, with the talent, with the treasure that I have invested to you. You've used it for my purposes. Way to go. Way to go. Come and share in your master's happiness. Come and share in my joy. Come and share in my life. There is reward waiting for you. Friends, you and I have been entrusted with so much. God has you here for a purpose. He's given you time, talents, and treasures to advance his purposes and his kingdom in this world through you. I don't know about you, but I want to use my life to that end. I want to live for that day when I can hear the Father say, well done. Let's close in prayer. God, that is our uh, cry this morning. We want to live for that day. We want to leave a legacy of godliness, a legacy that honors you. We want to live our lives in such a way that, uh, that your kingdom comes more fully in which captives get set free in which marriages get restored, in which the faith gets passed on to the next generation. We want to live our lives in such a way that, that homeless people are provided for and welcomed in. The people who are uh, addicted to all kinds of stuff or struggling in life experience your freedom and your purpose and come to know Jesus in a transformational way. We want to see your kingdom come here to Peoria and to this region. We want to see your will be done in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. God, would you help us and teach us to spend our days, to spend our hours and our minutes and our weeks and our months in ways that really do advance your purposes in ways that honor you, in ways that bring you glory. 
Teach us how to do that. Give us wisdom to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. We open up our lives. We open up our hearts, our hands. And we just surrender to you afresh this morning and say, come God, come and have your will. Have your way in me. We need you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.